Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like covering the National Football League for Yahoo Sports? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 45 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episodes on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you might just be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Also, for some of you that may have noticed the annoying popping sounds that were in the segments of this week's show, I noticed them as well and apologize for that annoyance. We shouldn't be hearing the same sounds that you would hear if you were to play a record in the 1920s. So that's poorly produced, and I'll do a better job next time. Hopefully you were focused more on the content and not the background noise from the peanut gallery this week from the production side of things. Thank you, thank you. I did deserve that, and I will do better next time around. Lots to do this week. Let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. We all know that sporting events can get a little bit ruckus, and unfortunately, sometimes things can escalate rather quickly. Disgruntled fans have been known to riot in the stands or go as far as throwing beer cans or other objects onto the field. But one object that managed to get onto the field in Buffalo for the Patriots and Bills game this past Sunday was certainly a first and perhaps the most impressive yet. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. It's no secret that Buffalo Bills fans, lovingly known as Bills Mafia, 
participate in their fair share of shenanigans during the infamous Sunday tailgates. Whether it's grown men crashing through beer pong tables or fans performing wrestling moves on a rubber bust of Tom Brady, things can get a little interesting to say the least, and you never know what's going to hit the internet each week. So it was no surprise that the latest prank pulled this past Sunday came at the Buffalo Bills game. The biggest surprise, however, was what this fan had up his sleeve when Buffalo hosted the New England Patriots. Or should I say, what this fan had in his pants. Late in the third quarter, the Patriots held a 31-17 lead and were once again on the cusp of scoring another touchdown. On first and goal, Tom Brady tossed a screen pass to wide receiver Chris Hogan, who was then tackled around the three-yard line. A simple enough scenario, but a closer look revealed that a long rubber object appeared to hit the end zone, bounce once or twice, and come to a rest at the one-yard line. A referee called for time, and upon closer inspection, realized what the object actually was. That's right, a fan had thrown a sex toy onto the football field. And not just any woman's whoopee stick. An inscription was written on the rubber rod of pleasure that the one-eyed object was indeed Tom Brady's. No player on the field was hit by the flailing phallus, but one poor referee was tasked with kicking the joystick off of the field, where it then lay limp and flaccid for the remainder of the game. The question was, who indeed was the trouser snake thrower? Thankfully, the Dirty Sports Podcast managed an exclusive interview with the Wanker Whaler to provide us all with answers. The gentleman who tossed the tallywhacker said that he and his girlfriend had attended a costume party the night before the game and dressed as 70s porn stars. Upon waking up, he noticed that she had left behind a certain accessory for the costume. Curiously enough, his first thought was, that's Tom Brady's sex toy, and wrote as such in Sharpie before bringing the personal pleasure prosthetic to the game. He wore two pair of pants for safekeeping, but fortunately was not patted down by security to have to explain if there was a fake fire hose in his pants or if he was just happy to see them. In the third quarter, it was finally time to flash the fun stick, and the third leg was thrown all the way onto the field. The impressive part was the distance that the little lover was launched, and the fan was sitting about 18 rows back from the field of play. It takes athletes years to perfect throwing a javelin or a discus, but the willy whipper managed to have one of the best tosses the National Football League might have seen this season. He also could have created the next great Bills Mafia tailgate game in the process. The following morning, even Tom Brady commented on the case of the fictitious phallus on a radio show, saying, quote, Yes, I did. I did see it. I thought it was funny the ref didn't want to pick it up. He was kicking it. Nobody wanted to reach down and grab it. But unfortunately for Bills fans, the tale of the schlong slinger 
had an unhappy ending, since the Tom Brady toy was the only thing that could get up for Sunday's game. I'm John Lund, for Sports News, read like real news. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. When we come back, we'll meet a Green Bay Packers wide receiver who scored his first NFL touchdown on his first NFL catch, but then got himself in some trouble when a different type of scoring from his past was brought to light during the football game on Sunday. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. The Green Bay Packers have had to deal with a slew of injuries this season and have struggled finding much consistency so far. Thankfully, Green Bay's future Hall of Fame quarterback has remained healthy and continues with his knack for making unknown wide receivers into household names, at least for one day. Such was the case this past Sunday, though we found out a little bit more about this particular wide receiver than we may have bargained for. Here's this week's edition of... Wait, who? It's been quite a few years since the Green Bay Packers had a crappy starting quarterback. In fact, you'd have to go all the way back to the early 90s. Since then, the Cheeseheads have been blessed with recent Hall of Famer Brett Favre, with a future Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers, currently the starter. Both were able to win a Super Bowl, though the bright lights are growing hotter for Rodgers to win title number two. Expectations were high for this season. But some key injuries and a stubborn head coach have resulted in an up-and-down path so far, as Green Bay is currently in second place in the NFC North. In a big game against the Atlanta Falcons this past week, the first-place team in the NFC South, the Packers were without some key offensive pieces, including their starting running backs and a key wide receiver. Green Bay needed to take a leap of faith. Ender. Geronimo Allison. Wait. Who? Did his mother name him while jumping out of a plane? Was she a huge fan of Jerry Lewis? Geronimo! If it's the first one, we'll have to wind the clocks back to the 1940s, when some of the first U.S. Army parachute jumps were taking place in Fort Benning, Georgia. One of the legends has it that on the eve of the first jump, the platoon decided to calm their nerves, and dropped by the movie theater to watch the 1939 film Geronimo, with Andy Gravine, and Lone Ranger star, Chief Thundercloud, in the title role. While heading back that night, comrades poked fun at one of the jumpers, saying that he would be too scared to remember his name. He promised he would yell Geronimo when he was about to jump the next day, and he kept his promise. Regardless of the original origin, when the Army's parachute infantry grew, the cry also grew with it. In 1941, the Army's 1st Parachute Regiment, the 501st Parachute Infantry Regiment, incorporated the name Geronimo into its insignia, and even got the permission of the real Geronimo's family. 
The actual Native American Geronimo lived from 1829 to 1909 and was an Apache. During his life, he became famous for fighting against both Mexico and the United States as both expanded into Apache lands. He died at the age of 80 of pneumonia, mostly from complications of falling off his horse and spending the night in the cold until he was found. Does that have anything to do with the Green Bay Packers? No, but at least you learn something. Anyway, Geronimo Allison played his college ball at the University of Illinois in 2014 and 2015 after transferring from Iowa Western Community College. He went undrafted in the 2016 draft, but was able to sign with the Green Bay Packers as a free agent, though he was released by the Packers during final team cuts. He then joined the practice squad before Green Bay promoted him to the active roster on October 24. Allison made his debut in Week 8 against the Atlanta Falcons, to help the injury-laden Packers lineup. Lucky for him, Aaron Rodgers has made a career of making irrelevant wide receivers relevant, at least for one game. Rodgers found Allison for a four-yard reception that was both his first career catch and touchdown. Allison added another catch later in the game and will enter Week 9 with 21 receiving yards for his career. What a great story, right? It was, until the internet got involved. After Geronimo found the end zone, many NFL fans asked the same question that this segment does each week. Wait, who? So, fans went to his Twitter page at 8-13MrFreakShow and journeyed down the watering hole of one of the biggest fears of millennials, social media past. Not many millennials are proud of their social media past, and Allison is no exception. To say he had a potty mouth is an understatement. In 2012 he tweeted, What two females wanna f*** me at the same damn time tomorrow night, before I leave for college. Also, I ain't take a bath in about three days, lol, it's da summer. it. He also tweeted, Told baby girl I only give head, if she swallow children. Think about that for a hot second. And, in 2013, he said, with a body like that, she can't for free. Bro. Take it easy. To no one's surprise, Geronimo deleted his account on Sunday after having to talk to the media about it. He was pretty mum about admitting anything about the tweets when asked, saying, quote, it's kind of hard to say. That was back then. It's kind of hard to say. But I apologize about that, that it is on my account. I can't say if that was me or if it wasn't, but it's on my account and I apologize about that. When asked if he remembered posting the messages in question, he said, I can't say if that was me, or if it wasn't. Talk about sounding like a robot. Needless to say, his mentions after the game certainly went, So, who can Aaron Rodgers rely on to catch a touchdown pass and to give social media advice? Geronimo Allison, that's who. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. 
When we come back, we'll talk to an NFL writer and editor for Shutdown Corner on YahooSports.com and chat about different storylines going on in the National Football League. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into the bridge at any time at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. We've had a lot of chatter surrounding baseball in the last several episodes, and that was going to be the plan for this week's show. But unfortunately, the World Series extended to seven games between the Indians and Cubs. Next week, we'll offer a full recap of the World Series and also provide a segment talking about what life was like back in 1908, the last time the Chicago Cubs last won the World Series, and 1948, the last time the Cleveland Indians won the World Series. But there's never a bad time to talk about the National Football League, and that brings us to this week's guest. I had the pleasure of talking to Frank Schwab. He is a sports writer and editor for Shutdown Corner on YahooSports.com. Talking all things football throughout the week, he has a very established career as a sports writer, starting covering Brett Favre, then moving on as the beat writer for the Denver Broncos and what I like to refer to as the lost years in between John Elway and Tim Tebow. Though the newspaper he worked for did end the Broncos beat by the time Tim Tebow came around, he did end up covering Tim Tebow's most famous game as a Denver Bronco before officially hanging things up on the beat. So we'll talk a little bit about what he's been able to do in his career, then get into some of the different things going around the National Football League in each conference. Some teams that have slightly separated themselves from the pack now at the halfway point of the season as to who might make the Super Bowl, as well as the teams that might be able to knock them off. So it was a great interview getting to know what Frank's been able to do throughout his sports writing career and have him offer some insight on what's currently going around in the National Football League. You can also follow him on Twitter at Yahoo Schwab. That's Yahoo like the chocolate milk, S-C-H-W-A-B. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. I'm here with Frank Schwab. He's an NFL writer and editor for Shutdown Corner on YahooSports.com. Frank, thanks for joining the show. How are you? Doing good. What's going on? Not too much. Talk some football. It's funny. We've got a historic Game 7 of the World Series happening later tonight of this interview, but nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League, so there's never a bad time to talk football. For starters, let me get the hard-hitting questions out of the way right off the bat. Do you have any relation to Howie Schwab, the first statistician for ESPN and the star of the television show, Stump the Schwab? I don't. I uh, I have heard. I've 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 heard. Like any time I play trivia, like me and my wife will go play trivia or whatever with people. That joke always comes up. Every oh, stump the Schwab. But no, no, no relation to no, none that I know of anyway. And also to answer your second question, no, not related to the stockbroker Charles Schwab, or else I'd probably instead of writing about the NFL, I'd probably be living on an island somewhere. You're right. I, that was going to be my third follow-up, is if that money was coming in from either of those parties. It's nice to know that show continues to have legs since it's been off air since like 2006. The second hardest question, a lot of shows ask who the most famous person is on your phone. But my counter to that, since that's a typical question, is who is the most famous person 
currently following you on Twitter? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, boy, I, you know, it's, uh, I get a lot of people, you know how Twitter is, like, I'll, somebody will find, you know, I'll get a notification and I'll look and I'll have like 4 million followers and I have no idea who they are or some DJ or whatever. So the one who uh, was kind of funny since our relationship in Denver wasn't the greatest is Brandon Marshall probably. So I, I, I guess he's the most recognizable one. Although if we're playing the fame game, I can always, unless somebody went to Laney High School in North Carolina in about 1979, I can always win the who you know who is the most famous person you went to high school with because I went to high school with Tiger Woods. So I can always win that competition if that ever comes up. We give a shout out to Anaheim Western. That is absolutely amazing. So I'm guessing the Brandon Marshall you're speaking of is Brandon Marshall, wide receiver and not current defensive player. The wide receiver, player. yes. I, I have no idea. The, the linebacker, uh, I don't think the linebacker does follow me. Uh, I've written plenty about him this year, obviously, right. given his national anthem protest. But right. yes, talk about the wide receiver. Talk about the wide receiver. And he was also past your prime covering the Denver Broncos which we will get to very shortly. Before we get into talking about the NFL, I wanted to give my listeners a better idea of how you sort of worked your way up to Yahoo Sports and what you're doing now. So starting with an easy question, I guess, in a way, what gave you the spark to want to be a sports writer? You know, I think that I've always, it's it's kind of weird, I just, uh, I've always wanted to do this. And then probably pretty young, 12, 13. Yeah, I got Sports Illustrated every week. I love Paul Zimmerman. I loved reading those guys. Uh, you know, the, the back page of Frank DeFord and all that. I think a lot of people my age probably came up the same way who are in this business. And, you know, that's how I wanted to... Yeah, that's how it just... I always wanted to be a sports writer. I thought it was a, a cool way to, to, you know, I, I always watched sports. I knew a lot about it. It was a cool way to, to get in the business of, you know, getting getting paid to... <laughs> follow sports, and then I got to the University of Wisconsin in 1996, and decided, I, I saw a front page, a full page ad, like, hey, come right for the Badger Herald, uh, it was just a student-run newspaper there on campus, it's the only campus with two newspapers, or was when I was there, and the Daily Cardinals, the other, so I went to the Badger Herald sports meeting, and no, the funny thing is, there, it, it, nobody wanted to cover hockey because it was off campus. Like it was, it was. They played at the Dane County Coliseum, which is a, you had to take a bus to get there if you didn't have a car, which I didn't. And so they were having a bad year, and the sports editors were like, "Okay, does anybody want to cover hockey this weekend?" And nobody raised their hand. Obviously, nobody wanted to do it. And I was like a freshman, my second week on campus or whatever. And so I was like, "Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, that sounds great." Uh, they were having a losing season, which was rare for them. And they went on like an 11 game winning streak that weekend. So they became this big story. And I was like the hockey beat writer at the day because nobody else wanted to do it. And that's kind of got, it kind of got things kicked off. And, uh, it just so, and, and also it so happens that my four years at Wisconsin were Ron Bain's four years. So it became like a big, like, I mean, obviously I would transition from hockey to football because that was kind of what everybody did there. You know, everybody wanted to be a football writer. And so, you know, I was writing a ton about Wisconsin football because they were good. And so I've always said that I kind of owe my career right now to Ron Dane because it had not been for him. If Wisconsin was going, you know, to five and six when I was there, I probably wouldn't have written as much as I did and gotten as much exposure. And I'd probably, you know, be selling insurance right now if it wasn't for Ron Dane. 
Yeah, it doesn't help when the teams you're covering also are doing well. And I know that's something that you can at least look forward to now because you're mostly covering the league as a whole and not so much focused on one team and having to deal with the ups and downs. When did you get your first start after you graduated from college to get yourself involved in the industry a little bit? Right after college. I mean, I was uh, the, the, going back to the Ron Dane story. I was even doing it in college because I was working for a paper in Appleton, and they would just have a student writing about Wisconsin football because they didn't have a dedicated Wisconsin beat writer. And I inter- interned with them in 98, and then they. You know, I was like, okay, you can write like one feature during a week in a game story. But Wisconsin football started 9-0 in 98. So I was writing every day like a beat writer when I was still in college. I mean, I was, you know, it was a full-time job and going to class and whatnot. And I got a, a, you know, it was, at the time, it was a big Gannett chain. So right after graduation in December 99, I got hired by uh, the Oshkosh Northwestern to cover the Packers, which was part of that Gannett chain with the Appleton paper I'd worked for. And then, uh, so I was, I was covering the NFL right after graduation. I was incredibly lucky. And doing other things too. I, I mean, I would cover high schools and, and all that kind of stuff. But I was also just lucky enough to get my foot right in the door with the NFL. Covered the Packers for three years and then uh, came out to Colorado Springs to, uh, well, I mean, Denver, I guess, but for the Colorado Springs paper to cover the Broncos. So I got lucky, man. You know, I mean, it's, the guys battle and grind and all that kind of stuff to cover the NFL, and it takes years sometimes. And here I was, not those kid out of right out of college covering uh, the Green Bay Packers. Nothing wrong with that. And then you get to move on to the Denver Broncos. What were some of your biggest challenges of having to immerse yourself into those teams? Especially once you made the move to Colorado Springs, were there some things that? you just had to get a little bit used to because now you were sort of in the trenches with that team covering them as well. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was different, but covering the Packers really got me ready because there's nothing like the Packers beat. I mean, people, I mean, it's a small place, but the entire state of Wisconsin cares about the Packers more than anybody kind of realizes. You can write about... In Green Bay, you can write. You can literally write about the backup guard, and I would get emails, you know, like from people who know who the backup guard was and would have a problem with whatever or something. You know, you know, are you saying he's terrible? He's played this and that. It's so, and just being around guys. I mean, there are such great pros on that beat who are still there. Guys like Pete Doherty at Green Bay Press, because that Rob Domovsky, who's now with ESPN, uh, Tom Silverstein, and Bob McGinn in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Orlando Ledbetter was at the Journal Sentinel at that time. He's with Atlanta now. So I was kind of like around all these great professionals with the, on the Packers beat, and, and it was just a no-nonsense kind of like, I mean, just just a bunch of pros, and I just watched them from afar. And so I, I kind of felt like it was a good, like, internship, basically, to get ready. And I came out covered the Broncos. That was, it was Adam Schefter's last year on the beat. So it was... Uh, you know, it was, it was it was fun. I still know Adam to this day, seeing the Super Bowls or whatnot. Um, and uh, it, it was just a different beat. It was it was a different job, and you had to get used to everybody who was there. But I felt, you know, I, I've I've heard this piece of advice, and I agree with it. If you could be a beat writer for anything for six months, at the end of that six months, you're going to be an expert. I it's it really does ring true. You just are so immersed day to day that you know you just pick up you, you figure out. Who the you know what the Broncos' history is, who the guys are, the inner workings of the front office and whatnot. So 
it was it, it was a it, yeah it was a transition, but it was it was actually very very enjoyable, and I I, I enjoyed you know I can't say I enjoyed every single day covering the Broncos because there were some tough days, but oh, yes. it's uh, I I love the experience. It was great. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Was there any competition with either you as a writer? probably a little bit more with your newspaper as a whole with say the Denver post and the Rocky mountain news and the other newspapers around that were also covering the Denver Broncos. Was that ever something that you had to keep in the back of your mind or were you just focused on going out and doing the best that you could and probably ended up making friends with some of the guys there as well? Uh, you know, I, you know, there's always competition when there's, there's multiple papers. You want to do the best you can find the best story you can. It was hard being the third paper because you know, as I found out, I, you know, when I was when I was covering a, the team, well, covering, actually when I covered Air Force later in my career, when I was kind of the Air Force guy, you figure out that, oh, yeah, when, when you're like the main paper on a beat, a lot of stuff, they, they'll leak to you. <laughs> right. It's the main paper. They weren't leaking anything on the Colorado Springs Gazette, let me tell you that. So, I, you know, it was, you tried and tried and tried. And it was hard because, I mean, again, I, my first year on the beat was Adam Schefter at the Denver Post. I, I wasn't beating him on many stories. Let's put it that way. So, you, you try to find your own niche. You, you write, you know, interesting stories off beat stories. Uh, you know, you're trying to just find your own way, find your own niche. And I, I hope I did well with that, and and it just uh, you know, but you know, yeah, some of that. You 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 are competitive. I'm a competitive guy. So I've always wanted to do the best I can, find whatever stories I could, breaking stories wise, and 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 on from there. But it was it was you know, it's just different being the third paper on a beat from you know when they don't have a, a huge uh, uh, emphasis on on leaking anything right. at that time. On the competitive side of things, I know the Gazette unfortunately dropped that beat in 2010, and that ended a seven-year run that you had going as the main beat guy. Did you feel any disappointment for no longer being able to do that beat? I know you moved on to Air Force football after that, so you at least were able to pick something up rather quickly. But having immersed so much time with that team, was it a little disappointing when they made that decision? Of course, yeah. I, I... You know, I I wanted to cover the NFL all my life. That's really all I've wanted to do. So to have that, you know, to have that dropped was was pretty tough. And by the way, they did that. I believe it was two months after the Broncos drafted Tim Tebow. So whatever. That's going to (laughs) lead to my follow up question because two years after you left, you returned with three simple words, at least to Twitter. And we're back. Why don't you tell the listeners what game that happened to be that you returned for? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was the Tebow Steelers game. I, I mean, and at first, let me say about Air Force. Covering Air Force was really, really. I don't, I don't know, fun's right word, but it was interesting. I enjoyed it. I, I, I didn't think I would, but I did because you're dealing with a lot of kids who. You know, you're going from the NFL, which is, uh, you know, I mean, I, I dealt with a lot of great guys in the NFL, too. John Lynch, Champ Bailey, uh, you know, guys like that. There, there are a lot of really good dudes in the NFL, so I don't want to paint the brush, brush. But there are a lot of guys that don't need you. You know, they're, they're right. millionaires. They don't really enjoy talking to the media every day. You go to Air Force, and first of all, these these kids are all bright as heck. I mean, they're, they turned out to Ivy schools to go to Air Force, Navy, Army. And they're entirely polite. They realize they're representing the entire academy there. 
And I, it was fun learning about academy life. I didn't know much about it. I, I, I find the service academies to be wholly interesting now. Like, I, I, I'm just, I, I, the culture is just very, uh, it's, it's just interesting, <laughs> the whole deal. And I never had a bad interaction with, an, uh, with a cadet there, ever. I mean, it was, even the ones that didn't really want to talk to me were still polite about it. <laughs> and they were, they were all good kids, and I really actually enjoyed doing that and saw some cool things and bowl games and, and big basketball games and stuff like that. But you come, I came that you know, they wanted to do this, obviously, the Steelers Broncos playoff game. And it turns out to be one of the most exciting games I've ever been to. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a crowd that it, that excited about anything. And I've been to a lot of big games since then and before then. It was just an unbelievable game. And it kind of it put it in the back of my mind that this is what I want to do. I want to cover the NFL because this is just, it, it's incredible. And, it's, and, you know, this is what I want to do <laughs> this is my life. And how do I get back here? And then I, I kind of, after that, I just kind of got lucky enough to latch on with Yahoo. In 2012, you end up making the jump to Yahoo Sports. What swayed you to leave the newspaper business for online writing? And how would you then describe what you're currently up to doing now? Um, I mean, it wasn't much of a, it was funny. I was at, uh, Monolith Media Days talking to, uh, Jim McElwain, who was with Colorado State at the time. I just met a group. It was like four of us around the table. And I got a text and I happened to look at it. It was from Graham Watson, who is the editor of the college football blog. And she just asked me, I didn't even really know her that well. I mean, I love her now. Uh, and she's one of my best friends, but I kind of casually knew her. She texted me, Hey, do you want to come work for Yahoo? It's like, yeah, yeah, I would. I'm sitting here talking to Jim McElwain about his, you know, getting grumpy about his off of the line or whatever. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. So I uh, did a year on, on the college blog, and then uh, Doug Farrar, a great writer who, uh, you know, I think everybody knows him from Bleacher Report now. He left to go to Sports Illustrated, so they needed somebody to run the NFL blog. And luckily enough, I mean, it, it <laughs> they, they were like, hey, do you want to? Yeah, and of course I said yes. You know, to to being the editor of Shutdown Corner. So, you know, it was it's funny that how things work out. That the Denver Broncos being taken away at the Gazette basically led me to be the NFL editor or the NFL blog editor at Yahoo Sports because I wouldn't have been at Air Force. I wouldn't have met Graham Watson. She wouldn't have asked me to come. You know, kind of be her number two writer on the college blog for a year before I went back to the NFL. So everything worked out and. What I did, it's, it's, I love this job. I really do. I've been a beach guy in this grind. This is a grind, too, in a different way. It's constant. The NFL is always in season. I was just joking with this about somebody yesterday about how they, it could be the middle of June and the biggest story is going to be the NFL. Right. It's weird. It's, it's, it's almost, I don't, I don't know if this is just a luck and coincidence or it's not, but it just seems like if there's ever a dry spell in the NFL, something will happen. Not, it's not always good either. I'll tell you what. My first day as the editor of Shutdown Corner, I was on vacation with my family. It was pre-planned. I didn't know when I was going to be transitioning to job, but I was on vacation with my family in Wisconsin Dells when Aaron Hernandez got perp walked out of his house. That was my first day. So <laughs> that's <laughs> the, a great start. The NFL. Uh, it's, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, okay, this is how it's going to be. So the NFL's always there's always something going on. I love writing about it all, and we, you know that. We we just on on shutdown corner. We try to do everything from 
Great hotels, X's and O's, which are great. Doing the the silly stuff for yeah, everybody, like the the sex toy that was thrown onto the field on Sunday against the Patriots, which we talked about on email. That was a number one post on Sunday. People were reading about stuff like that. So we were everything from the serious to the silly. I mean, writing about you know Ray Rice when that happened, and and just the the weird, the other weird stuff that happens, and it's. It's it's all encompassing, and that's what makes it so fun. I wake up every day. I don't know if I'm going to be writing about you know somebody committing a felony or some you know Aaron Rodgers wearing a big Lebowski sweater like he did a couple weeks ago and writing a funny post about that. It's it's just great because you just never know what this job's going to be day to day. You mentioned you work closely with Greg Cassell and. He's a senior producer for NFL Films for more than three decades, for people that don't know. And you both do a shutdown podcast for Yahoo Sports. Just from working with Greg, has picking his brain helped you at least with what you might be watching in a game or what you might be looking out for when you're observing the National Football League? Oh, my God, so much. I mean... I covered like we've we've been discussing. I covered the league every day for ten years, and you think you know? You really do. You think okay, I'm I'm in the upper one percent, obviously. People who know the NFL, and then I work with Greg every single week, and it's like wow, I don't know anything. <laughs> Greg is <laughs> and Greg's one of the nicest guys. Greg is for people who follow his work. I mean, I don't know if this comes across or not, but he's one of the nicest guys. He really is just super. Down to earth, he's just he's just a, a football junkie. He really is. He's. I went out to uh, NFL, uh, uh, yeah, NFL, the NFL Films office in New Jersey for a couple of days, and just hung out with him for two days to produce a bunch of posts. And I mean, I, I don't. Greg's not doing like the Photoshop X's and O's on his posts. That's me. Like <laughs> we'll talk. It's all in his voice. It's his notes. It's his ideas. And then I'll kind of produce them. Right. So we did a bunch of that over two days. And just hanging out with him for two days and watching film with him was like, I could do this every day of my life. This is so fun. This is just great because he gets so into it. And you just realize that, I mean, I think almost every NFL fan, even hardcore NFL fans, are probably watching the game. You know how they say we use like 10% of our brain? You're probably watching about ten percent of what's going on, and if, I always say if people were just read Greg's stuff every week with what we do, we talk. I mean, especially when he's talking about concepts and he's talking about the X's and O's, the chess matches, and all that. You'll you just appreciate the game on a totally different level. It's it's amazing how complicated NFL football is. How you know we complain about play calls, right? Everybody complains about play calls. What the stuff that goes into each play call, I mean, it's, it's literally hours of we're going to get cover three on third town, and this, you know, this route concept is going to beat cover three, and that's why we called this play. And then a guy gets sacked, and we all say, well, why did you even call that play? And that was a stupid play. It wasn't a stupid play. It's just maybe they disguised it and they ran cover two instead. You know what I mean? So. It's yes, I, I appreciate the game on an entirely different level having worked with Greg for three or four years. Let me transition into football and what's going around in the league so listeners don't get pissy with us for talking about the other side of what we might do for a living when it comes to sports media. <laughs> Starting with the AFC, because of your Denver Broncos ties, I guess, and mine, what do you think have been some of the bigger storylines we've been able to have at the halfway point of the season so far? 
I think you got to start with the Patriots. I mean, because everybody thought, oh, wow, they're, you know, maybe they're vulnerable. No Tom Brady for four games. And Brady, to me, if I had to pick one, I think he's the greatest quarterback ever. So you thought, well, maybe they're going to go one and three and the Bills can, or the Jets can, you know, reach up and challenge them. Well, here they are seven to one with a three game lead in the AFC and Tom Brady's probably going to win MVP. I mean, it's, it's like if this didn't happen this year, AFC East, when are you going to get your stuff together? When right. are you possibly going to rise up against the Patriots if it didn't happen this year? And it's just, it's probably disheartening for a lot of people who hate the Patriots. And I don't, I, don't, I respect the Patriots. I don't like them. I don't hate them. I just, I, I just respect how a team can crank up 12 wins every year. It's unbelievable, really. But I think you got to start there. I mean, the Patriots being above and beyond everybody else is pretty incredible. And then I think we go to the AFC West right away because the AFC West is, it's the, I think it's the best division of football this year. Easily, it's the most exciting, it's the most interesting, or the most, uh, from one to four, the best competition. I think even the Chargers are really, really good. They just happen to blow like four games already that they should have won, which is incredible. But I, until I, I guess now the Chargers, it's going to be really, really hard for them to win the division. But before last week's game, I was saying, any of these teams could finish in any one of these places. You could tell me the Chargers are going to finish first. You could tell me the Broncos are going to finish last. I wouldn't be surprised by anything. Right. So I think that, you know, the, I think the Chiefs are really under the radar. I mean, if we figure the Kansas City Chiefs are 5-2, and two, and they haven't gotten one snap from their best player yet, and that's Justin Houston. If Von Miller was coming back to the Denver Broncos who were 5-2, and two, we'd be going crazy at this point. We'd be saying, oh my God, the Broncos are, are going to make a Super Bowl run this year. But for some reason, the Chiefs don't get that bump. I mean, we're not talking about the Chiefs in that way. And I think Justin, you know, Justin Houston's a $100 million player, too. I mean, maybe he's not quite Von Miller, but he's in the same zip code. And assuming he comes back somewhat healthy at some point in the next few weeks, I think, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to take off there. If you look at their schedule, they're probably going to be eight and two coming into Denver on November 29th. Right. So, I, I think that, uh, but you know, the Raiders are right in there too. They've banked five road wins, no matter how they've done it or who they've done it against. I think the AFC West. I think the Patriots are the number one story in the AFC, in the AFC, and I think just the depth of the AFC West and how exciting that division is is number two. Yeah, everyone has already placed the Patriots as their number one favorite to make it to the Super Bowl and potentially win it, which is funny because they've only won one Super Bowl in the past decade, and everyone just assumes this is going to be the year again, and if Pete Carroll handed the ball off, we'd have a totally different discussion, but that's for another show. Yeah. This week you had the Broncos as number three in your power rankings. You had the Kansas City Chiefs rank five. I'll throw in the Steelers because assuming Ben Roethlisberger either comes back this week week or next he'll be in the field soon enough do you see those three teams as maybe the ones that have the best shot to contend with the Patriots yeah and the Steelers are that's a good one to throw out there they're, they're tough to rank when you <laughs> I mean I'll do power rankings every week and it's like well do I rank them like Ben Roethlisberger's healthy because he's not right. so uh, I don't know um but yes if Ben Roethlisberger's healthy and everybody else is relatively healthy on that team they can absolutely beat the Patriots. I mean, anybody can. I mean, it's a one-game scenario, and the best team doesn't always win. People, people get mad when you talk about that. They really do. That the Super Bowl champion is not the best team, or what? I, I mean, I hate to say this around you, but I'm not convinced the Broncos were the best team in football last year. And they're a Super Bowl champ. Hey, Frank. Hey, rings. now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to take away their rings, but 
were they the best team from beginning to end? They were the luckiest. I can say that. The hundred percent. They, they caught every break. I believe. I, I used. I was using a stat so much preseason, but I believe it went eleven and two in games decided by seven or less. It started with the Chiefs game. ridiculous. It was with the Chiefs yeah, game the Chiefs to start game the year. They fumbled it. Andy handing off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, by the way, I'm not sure. I'm not sure people realize this, but if the Chiefs just just take a knee there and win in overtime and everything else was the same, if they win that Broncos game and everything else remains the same, the Chiefs are the number one seed in the AFC last year. Right, exactly. And I think we're having a lot of conversation about the Kansas City Chiefs now. Right. Because they were, you know, if, if people are coming through Arrowhead, I don't know if you've been to Arrowhead, Arrowhead's a tough place to play. It is a lot different if the AFC Championship game was being played there. I mean, that's, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um but anybody can, you know, it's hard for any team to win three playoff games in a row or four playoff games in a row if you're not a bye team. So I think Steelers could beat the Patriots. I do think, I mean, maybe the Chiefs, maybe this is finally their year where they can compete with the Patriots. It's just, it's just tough. And we've seen the Broncos beat the Patriots because that defense is so good. So, yeah, it's just because the Patriots are the best team right now, and I think clearly they're the best team, it just doesn't mean they're going to win a Super Bowl because it's just tough to win a Super Bowl in the NFL. You mentioned in one of the pieces you wrote on Monday that the NFC is wide open, and I think a lot of people would agree with you with that. But the Dallas Cowboys could be a dark horse team of sorts to reach the Super Bowl. Why did you say that about the Cowboys? I just think that I, I think... Every team in the NFC is flawed. I was, I was doing radio on, I think it was two, it must have been Tuesday, because they were talking about, oh, you got to move the, the Vikings way down on, on the list, right? And I said, okay, well, let's move the Vikings down. Who do you move up? What team do you trust in the NFC? Right. You trust the Falcons with their mediocre defense? You trust the Dallas Cowboys with their mediocre defense? And a rookie, he still is a rookie quarterback. I, let's not forget that. Do you trust the Packers who have Aaron Rakowski as their running game right now? Do you trust. The, again, the Vikings with their off of the line. Do you trust the Lions? I, I, I just the Seahawks, who haven't, I, I still think have the highest upside uh, in the NFC, but they obviously don't look right. So the NFC is a mess. I mean, and it's, there's a lot of teams with a lot of potential, but a lot of teams with a lot of flaws too. And I look at the Cowboys, and I'm like, well, okay, they they can run the ball really, really well. Their offensive line is one of the best I've ever seen. I mean, we're talking 70s Raiders, 90s Cowboys, 2010s or to that yeah, 2010s uh, Cowboys line. I mean, these are the, some of the best lines of football. And they, you know, and, and Prescott has played really, really well. I mean, you can't take that away from them. And they're kind of hiding that they lead the league in time of possession again. They're kind of hiding this mediocre defense, which. I mean, in every single category you can look at, they're 16th, 17th, or worse. You know, I mean, they're mediocre to bad. So you got to pick somebody out of the NFC. You can do a lot worse than the Cowboys at this point. And they have a two-game lead in the NFC East, so they're pretty safe there. They at least do some things really, really well. And I just don't know who else you pick in the NFC, at least until the Seattle Seahawks start playing ball like we've seen them play before. It seems like the biggest storyline in the NFC, in the AFC, we have Tom Brady and his resurgence and coming back after the suspensions. But in the NFC, it's almost like the elite quarterbacks that are over there have almost gotten off to disappointing starts in a way. The Panthers really just 
we're in a yeah. downward spiral after the Super Bowl. That hangover is a lot stronger than people might have thought it would be. The Green Bay Packers have been up and down with injuries and stuff that they've had to deal with. The Seahawks haven't really come up as the biggest team you wanted to say the Falcons were, but then they had some tough losses. There hasn't really been that team yet because the Vikings now have also lost two games that have stepped up to be the, oh, this is going to be the team. Is that sort of the theme at the halfway point? More disappointment than it has been being impressed with what some teams have been able to do? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I do. I think that it's just, it's, I mean, tr- do this exercise. Uh, go and find a team for me that has the potential to have a top five defense and a top five offense. And I'm talking uh, an NFL whole. The Patriots defense isn't top five. <laughs> I mean, we know their offense is. But, you know, the Packers defense isn't going to be top five. The, the, the Falcons' defense isn't going to be top five. The Vikings' offense isn't going to be top five. I mean, there's just no dominant team. And so, like you said, part of that is just uh, it's a lot of disappointment with having the Panthers. People talk about the Panthers making the playoffs. If, if you assume the Panthers got to go 10 wins to make the playoffs, and I do, I, I think that, that you've got to hit 10 wins to make the playoffs in the NFC. Well, they got to they got to finish the season eight and one. It's right. not easy to do in the NFL. I, it's not as easy as just oh hey the Panthers are playing well again they're going to make the playoffs. They dug themselves a hole you're probably not getting out of. So yeah, I think that there's at the Arizona Cardinals another team. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I thought okay this was a good team came up just short. A lot of motivation. Everybody's back and they added Chandler Jones. This is their year. And they haven't looked anything like they did in 2015. Their their offense is just it, there's nothing deep going on. Carson Palmer looks off. Some of the receivers have struggled. It's just it, it's it's not good in Arizona either. So yeah, I think if, if if you're looking at it that way, I do think that it's fair to say there's been a lot of disappointment around the NFC. There's there's no one team that's kind of it's right there for the taking for anybody, and there's no one team that's been head and shoulders above everybody else. Off the field, for the first time since 2011, the World Series beat out Sunday night football in the ratings this past week in Game 5. And granted, that was because it was an elimination game between two franchises looking to make history by winning the World Series. But there's been more and more discussion about the drops in the NFL ratings. Are there some specific things that you might be able to pinpoint to as a contributor to that? And should it be any cause of alarm yet for the NFL or Commissioner Roger Goodell? You know, I, I've kind of been the contrarian here and said, you know, we're all freaking out about this. I, I know everybody kind of likes throwing rocks at the NFL because they're the powerhouse, right? They're, they're who's on top now, and it just, I don't know, we have this this mentality that we want to see, you know, these big companies or big teams or whatever fall. The NFL had no choice but to go down in the ratings. They were, you can't, in this fractured media landscape, you can't just keep adding to your ratings every single year. It, they were this bonanza of, of, of viewership. It just can't keep going up. And then, you know, you, you do have some bad luck with, you know, the debate goes against one of your Monday night games and some of your, you know, your Thursday games are awful. They need to get rid of those. But the, the Monday night games haven't been great. The Sunday night games haven't been great like they have been in the past until last week, I guess. And then even when you do have a great Sunday night game last week, you're going up against a World Series that has one team that hasn't won since 1948 and another team that hasn't won since 1908. I mean, this is, and the Cubs are a, the biggest ratings draw 
probably in sports right now. I mean, over across all teams. So they've caught a lot of bad luck, but at the same time, it's it's fine. It's not like the NBA is knocking on the door to become the most popular sport. It's not like Major League Baseball is permanently now ahead of football again. The NFL still does laps around everybody, and it's if you go back to game, week six, Packers Cowboys did a seventeen point three rating. This is a week six game in the middle of a Sunday afternoon, right? It's seventeen point three. Game seven of Spurs Heat did seventeen point seven. Right. So it's basically seventeen point three for a random week six game versus seventeen point seven for game seven of the NBA Finals a few years ago. This is they're doing NBA Finals game seven type of ratings for random regular season games, and even. When they had everything working against them Sunday, Walking Dead was on, which I know a lot of people watch, and the Cubs Indians is this perfect storm for Major League Baseball. The NFL still did, I believe it was like a 15.4 rating, 14.4 maybe. That's a monster rating for anybody else. I mean, people would kill for those type of ratings. So, I mean, is the NFL thrilled that their ratings are down? No, of course not. You never want to give anything back. But, I think we need to take a step back and realize the, the NFL is six laps ahead of everybody else in the race, and they had a bad pit stop, another five laps ahead. Right. They're still five laps ahead. <laughs> it's not, the sky's not falling for the NFL. They're still five laps ahead of everybody else. So I, I, I think that the freakout is just, it's our culture, man, of we, we just want to tear everything down that's good. If, it's, if you're great, we want to find, we want to pick holes in you. When in reality, if you take a step back and look at this, the NFL had to go down at some point. You just can't keep adding to these monster ratings year after year after year. Frank, thanks again for joining the show to give a look at what you've been up to and run down some different things we've got going on in the NFL. And as we said, there's always something to talk about. Maybe we can catch up again down the road and have you give some input to help us out again as well. Absolutely, man. Anytime. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You could subscribe to The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund under Artists. By doing so, you'll immediately be notified when new episodes are posted as podcasts each week. You can also leave a positive rating and review to make me seem a lot better than I might actually be. The Bridge Sports Podcast can also be found on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn, as well as SportsRadioAmerica.com by searching for The Bridge under the Shows tab. And you can also listen to the show live every Wednesday night at SportsRadioAmerica.com or on the TuneIn app. And you can call in or text into the show anytime, any day at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. On the next installment of The Bridge, we'll take a look at the World Series. We'll take a look around the National Football League and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge keeping you connected with all things sports.